This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 9th, episode 2178. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? stop learning you never stop understanding it's more in depth than just riding a horse exciting knowing that for the rest of my life i could work on this and, and i'll never stop learning Welcome back, Mary. Mary's here the second Thursday of every month to hang out and geek out on all things training. How you doing, girlfriend? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. All things considered. <laughs> all things considered. Now, it just occurred to me that we're constantly welcoming new listeners into our shows here on the Horse Radio Network. And there might be a certain percentage of folks out there who are not familiar with Mary Kitzmiller. Could you give me a 30-second bio on Mary Kitzmiller? Only 30 seconds. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'll give so, you 45. Hey, yeah, go perfect. Perfect. So I'm a horse trainer and clinician, and I'm based in Kemp, Texas. And my background is uh, kind of a Western performance background. Uh, I'm probably best known for doing tons and tons of Mustang makeovers. Um, and doing those led me to do really exciting things with Road to the Horse, doing the wild card competition. And I just kind of go all over doing clinics and and uh, and I have this monthly podcast. Dun, dun, dun. So that's Mary Kitzmiller. And Mary Kitzmiller, who's here the second Thursday of every month, you recently made a little road trip to a place called Bruno. And before we get to our Bruno trip, that's going to be our opening salve this morning. We're going to have a little training tip later on and after that. We're going to chat a little bit about um, the importance or, or thinking about when the horse is actually doing the learning. Is he learning it right now? Is he learning it later? Is he learning it when we're not looking? And then as is our habit on Mary's training episode, we're going to take some questions from listeners. And one brave listener by the name of Kristen is going to come on live and chat with us about her training issue. And of course, we're going to toss in there a little song and we're going to change it up this time because Mary gets to choose from three different songs, all of which celebrate different parts of your trip to Bruno. And we're going to let you decide which part of that trip you want to celebrate with your song. So let's get started here. Where is Bruno and why did you go there? Uh, Bruno is in Idaho. It's about an hour um, south of Boise, thereabouts. And it is in the middle of nowhere. And it's amazing. Um, I, I never thought of Idaho as like, oh, I just really want to go to Idaho. But now I want to move there. Every, place, <laughs> every time I go out west, I'm like, I must move here. I just, you know, I, uh, I love the west. Um, so I went up to Bruno. Um, I have ridden a number of times with a horseman known as Martin Black, and he is a protege of Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt, and he's an amazing horseman, uh, and he's got uh, a really nice ranch out in Bruno, and then there's a lot of public lands out there. 
and uh, a lot of these guys run their run their cattle out there and it's it's like it's stepping back you're in the old west that's how it's done it's not it's not a costume it's not a role they're playing that's really how it still is um so i went up there we i went up there for colt starting they were starting all of their colts this year uh, so he had a couple working students uh, there, one from Brazil, one from Germany, and a guy from Iowa, and then me. Um, so I got invited to go up there and start Colts, and I've started Colts a couple of times with Martin before, and he has a really amazing and unique take on it. And then I came up a little bit early because uh, this is the time of year when a lot of these ranches out west are branding their cattle. And they tend to do it a little bit different than other states. Like in Texas, most of the time you either load your cows up into a trailer and you take them to the vet and they run them through shoots and they do branding and they castrate and vaccines and, and all of that kind of, you know, just good stockmanship practices that you do with your cows to keep them healthy and keep them identified. But up there, it is still the way they've been doing it for many generations, which is you go out into the wilderness and you gather cattle um, and you bring them to a catch pen and then we uh, roped them to brand them. So one, the way that uh, there's a di few different styles that people do to brand their cattle, but the way we did it was one person would would uh, catch the cow around the horns or the, around the, not the horns, their calves. Um, they would rope the head and then someone else would rope the heels. And then you gently uh, stretch the calf out and there then there's a ground crew who comes in and lays them down. Now, and let's, we give, yeah, it's interesting yeah. that you chose the word gently because I think the only time people... Most people have ever seen a, a calf, what you're calling stretched out, where there's one rope on the front end, one rope on the back end. It's in a rodeo situation. can be right. just startling to say the least. That's not the way it's done yes. in real cattle work. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, there's team roping, which is what you would see in the rodeos, like NFR and that kind of stuff. And that's a timed event and it's a competition. So you are trying to catch that cow and stop that cow and heal that cow as fast as you can. So uh, to do that, in that's a different. <laughs> it's completely different. Yeah. I mean, there's ropes involved, there's horses. That's about where the similarities in to do it in a practical setting, meaning we need to catch this calf and doctor it and give him all the vaccines and stuff he needs and check him over, make sure he's okay. And to brand him, um, it would be really silly to do that as fast as you can, because you don't want to upset your stock and worry them. And it's, it's one of those things where going faster will actually take longer. You want the cattle to stay calm. You don't want them running around and getting scared and running over fences and trying to jump fences. Um, everything from sorting the calves out that we needed to brand to getting them into the catch pen, um, it needs to be slow and gentle. Um, because even, you know, I know there's a little bit of pushback against cowboys and, um, you know, oh, they don't care about their stock. It's completely untrue. Um, they're very, very diligent and, um, and they do care about them. And even if you made the argument like, oh, they don't, they don't really care about their cattle, um, at the very least it's an investment. This is their livelihood. So they don't want anything getting hurt or, you know, losing weight by running around and being stressed. It's all done you know, really, very calculated. really calculated. 
It yeah. is. And it takes a great deal of skill. And, um, yeah, you have to just be be so patient and just, <gasps> yeah. Exactly. It's very <laughs> Sorry, zen-like. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very zen-like. Um, so, so that's what we did. I'd never been to a branding before. Um, I was a total fish out of water. I felt like a total, you know, doofus doing it, but it was, it was an amazing experience. It was really, so we did that before we actually started the Colts that week. And, uh, it's the closest to Lonesome Dove I've ever felt. Cause I mean, <laughs> so we were it was out. a, it was a, a, a multidisciplinary trip in that you did lots of different things. You did some branding and then the second part was Colts. Yes. So how long yes. did you, how, how many days did you br- do branding? Uh, branding we did for uh, a couple of days. Um, and cause I was kind of on the tail end of everyone doing the branding. Um, and you know, I tried to explain that I've never done this before. I've never day worked before and done real cowboy stuff in that sense. Um, <laughs> but you know, the people up there, because that's, they live that every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of assumed that I knew more than I did. Uh, I got sent out with this really sweet uh, girl in her early 20s who, and we got sent out together to make sure the catch pins were ready and to start bringing cattle in. And uh, she was like, just go up on that hill and go bring those cows in. And I'm like, uh, Okay. <laughs> so so she was she was out on the four-wheeler checking to see where everything was and I I just rode this horse that I barely knew uh up on this hill to bring these cows up and I'm like, "Well, I hope it I I hope I'm doing it right." I didn't get yelled at too bad. Um and the other thing uh so I I have a slight terrifying fear of heights and uh in Texas there're not a lot of hills where I am in Texas, not a lot of up and down hills uh, or mountains or anything of that sort. Uh, so, you know, I'm on this horse. I don't really know. They're like, she's got about 60 rides and I'm like, okay, so, so green, pretty green. She ended up being amazing. Um, but you know, you had to go straight up these hills to, to get these cows. And I'm talking like when I was coming down the hill, my horse's butt was like at the level, like, like right behind my ponytail. So I'm trying not to whimper like a baby. And at one point I'm pushing against my saddle horn and leaning back because I'm going down this hill. And this, this girl looked at me, she goes, Oh yeah, you're a flatlander. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I don't do hills. Um, and actually at one point we, uh, when we were going to look, look for cattle one day, we went down this like snowy river steepness drop and one of the cults that the working student from Germany was on, um, this was his first ride that year. And, you know, he got the horse got warmed up. They, we knew that the horse was a little cold backed and could be a little bronchy. So we warmed the horse up, made sure everything was OK, took, hit a long trot out to this hill. Everything's going good. But what had happened was the colt was like, you know, full of air. And when, when this kid first cinched him up, but once he relaxed and we're trotting out, he'd let out, you know, oh, no. kinda, it yeah. was the loose girth, the loose girth so, problem. Yeah. We're oh. going down this vertical drop and the saddle slips forward and the Colt's like, now I'm going to buck. And so this 
horses bucking on the side of this hill and um, everything was okay. The saddle ended up coming off, but everyone was fine. No one was hurt. It was all good. But the whole time I'm just like, I have to get down this hill right now. I'm going to die. This is awful. Um, So it was very Western. It was very cowboy. Um, But yeah, it was, uh, that was probably... Uh, the most harrowing experience between, you know, if if I had to compare which was more scary to me, starting Colts or doing that, I would say that easily. <laughs> interesting. Wow. And you've, you've started a lot of youngsters, so that's an, an interesting take on it. Wow. Well, there's more that happens in Bruno, but we're going to save that for a little bit later in the show because now it's time for our training tip. And Mary always comes up with something that really gets you thinking. So what are you going to challenge our gray matter with this month? Okay, so this is something that I've believed for a very long time about uh, when in training or outside of training, does a horse like take in the information we're teaching them and process it and learn and make these new connections in their brain? Um, And uh, I've, I've started understanding this concept when I was first learning to train horses, um, in that uh, I would hear the term from a lot of people like he needs to soak, let him soak on that for a little bit. And by soak, um, I'm talking about during the ride, giving the horse a break, uh, as in, okay, we've just loped four circles and, and he's, he's, he needs to stop and think for a little bit. And we would just bring the horse to a stop, give him nice loose rein, stay out of their way. Don't bother them. Let them just breathe and just think for a little bit. Uh, so that's a good example of what I would call soak time. The other, uh, time I would say is after the ride, you, you know, you've cooled off the horse, you've hosed them off and we would, uh, many places I work, we'd let them stand tied for a good amount of time before we put them away, you know, mostly to keep them from rolling in their stall after they've had a bath to let them catch their air. Um, but also just to teach them, hey, there's going to be situations where you need to stand tied for a few hours and you need to be okay with that. So we started that really early getting, get, uh, allowing part of what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Allowing them to build that mental stamina, because to me, it's unfair if you don't ever tie your horse for a period of time and then you go to a show and you want them to stand tied to the trailer all day in a scaring parking lot with lots of things happening. That's a good recipe for disaster. Uh, At the very least, you can cause a lot of fear and stress in your horse. So we would do that a lot of time when the horse was young to get them used to standing quietly. Um, And I had a guy, I I asked a guy I was working for, like, why do you tie him for so long after you're done riding? And he goes, oh, it lets him soak. It lets him learn. I'm like, really? That's that tying makes them learn about. And he, he, he talked about it specifically, like lets them think about the ride. And it didn't make a lot of sense to me at at the time, but the more I trained, the more I realized that was true. When horses really take in the information we're giving them um, and, and, you know, improve what they're doing is not during the maneuver. It's in the moments after when you get out of their way and just let them process. Um, You know, an analogy I would use is whenever I was in college, and of course, I never just studied when I should have. I crammed the night before. That's how I did it. But no surprise there. I know. Right. Uh, So I'd be, you know, reading and taking notes and doing this all nighter. And there was always a point in my brain where I was like, I can't, I can't process anymore. I have to stop. And 
Um, I always did much better no matter where I thought I was in my studying, whether I felt I was prepared or not. I always felt I did much better if I just closed my book and went to bed. Um, and doing it that way, instead of studying right up until the moment where I had to do the test, uh, I seemed, I, I always felt like I retained information much better by just giving my brain that break. And so I've always believed this. I've always, uh, I'm really, really big for those of you guys. I get questions all the time. My horse won't stand still. He gets nervous at the show. He won't stand still on the trail. Um, it's because, there's many reasons, but a lot of it is because you're not practicing it enough at home. Don't just, you know, trot or lope for an hour and then put your horse up. Do something with your horse um, where you are compelling them to learn. So, you know, you're, you're working on a new maneuver. And once you get to a good spot, stop for a minute, sit on your horse, five minutes, get your phone out on Facebook if you want to, you know, within reason, be safe. Um, but just get out of your horse's way and let them process. Um, they do more learning in those standing still times than they would if you just continue to drill on the exercise. Drilling is not what makes them learn. It's that soak time. So, um, I always believed it. And then I, I really got more insight into this, uh, in Bruno because we were very lucky to have, uh, Dr. Stephen Peters up, um, who some of you may know have, he's collaborated with Martin on a book called evidence-based horsemanship. It's a terrific book because you've got the anecdotal evidence from Martin who started thousands and thousands of horses. And then you've got, uh, someone who's a neuroscientist, um, who can actually say, here is, here are the chemical reactions that are happening in the horse's brain that we can actually look at and prove this is what's happening. This is what their thought process is. So one of the things that Martin brought up that really kind of made me go, aha, was he was talking about working cattle with a horse and you would get the horse to do something with the cow and then give the horse a little break and let him think about it. And usually uh, what happens after the horse has been in a high stress situation, you're working a cow or you're doing some sort of high power maneuver. As soon as you kind of let them stop and break, they will do this licking and chewing, uh, which we've always been told, you know, you want them to lick and chew. It's a sign of relaxation. And it, it's just a sign that they're kind of getting all those good chemicals going in their brain and they're letting down. And I've seen that hundreds and hundreds of times training horses. But he said, what he learned to do instead of giving the horse a little break and then going back and drilling on the cow again, he would sit there longer and the horse would lick and chew once and then he'd stop for a moment. And a few moments later, he'd lick and chew again and then he'd stop for a moment. And then a few moments later, he'd lick and chew again. And I actually tried this on one of the horses I was training on up there one day. And my normal instinct would be to give him a little break and then go right back into it because we need to practice this more. But I saw the exact same thing that Martin had spoken about. I w was working with softness in the hackamore with this filly and I got her to a really nice place and I said, okay, let's just stop. And so she, same exact thing happened. She looked and chewed and the moment where I would normally pick up the reins and go again, she instead looked, you know, I waited and she looked and chewed again. And then she did, you know, for over like five minutes, she just sat there licking and chewing. And that to me is a, is a good sign that the horse is really taking in what you're teaching them. So my tip would be based on all that information would be, um, take more breaks when you ride, 
Um, this usually, this licking and chewing phenomenon, this sort of letting down, relax, processing information usually occurs after a period of stress. And when I say stress, I don't mean like you're terrifying the horse or forcing them to do anything. It's just the stress of training where, you know, it's like studying for a test. That's a stress situation or working a high power job. That's a stress situation. So it doesn't, I'm not meaning bad when I say stress, but you know, once you've done something with your horse, whether you're trotting over cavalettis or you're working on a certain maneuver or you're doing obstacles, um, give them that break and let them think about it. You're going to do two things. You're allowing them to learn and process information, which is going to be way more effective than if you had simply drilled the maneuver 10 times. Work on it once or twice, get to a good spot, let them rest. The other thing you're going to do is you're going to build that patience and that desire in the horse. My horses, when I put the reins down and say, have a break, they're like, oh, thank God. They love standing still and just taking that in. I work on that a ton at home so that when I'm at a show and I have to sit and wait, you know, I'm getting ready to go in the class and I've got to wait a few minutes. That horse doesn't lose his mind and get really you know, anxious because he's not used to standing still. They know when I put my hand down on your neck and give you that loose rein, ah, okay, this is my time. I get to just chill out. It really helps them to appreciate that time. There we go. So take breaks that are a little bit longer. Because we're all, when, when you go out and you, and you practice with your horse and you're, you're training today versus just hacking around, um, we kind of get into that zone where, okay, we're going to take a break and maybe walk around on a loose rein. And what seems like forever was in fact three minutes. Exactly. Now, question for you. Training my horse, do you feel like being still, in other words, at a halt, is going to be more effective than letting the horse walk or intentionally telling the horse to walk? Is there going to be a difference, do you think, in their how much they're going to process and how thoroughly they're going to process? Because in the Western culture... Standing a horse and being still, you have them come to a halt, you give them the reins and you don't move at all, is a common training ingredient, whereas in the English culture, not so much. I'm not going to say one's better than the other, but they are very different. You don't often see that happen in any English discipline. So what's your take on the fact that the horse is being still? Do you feel like that is going to give them a better opportunity to get that gray matter to really absorb the lesson? So I don't have any like scientific proof on hand that one is better than the other, but my instinct is to go more towards standing still because horses, um, they're taking in so much, um, at a time they, they oftentimes lack the ability to block out the stimuli around them like we can, because they're on Hyler all the time. That's why That's I, like, I don't, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't believe on leaving in leaving like radios on all night in a barn. I don't think a horse is physically able to stop hearing that noise over and over. They can't block it out like we could. Um, so I think walking, um, they're still kind of like press, you know, they're still kind of looking around and on a little bit of an alert, um, you know, mode. However, I don't, not to say that I never walk them around on a loose rein. Uh, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of reasons that I would. Uh, one being if your horse is breathing hard and it's like a really hot day and he needs to cool down, walking is going to be very good for him. So I do a lot of loose rein walking. It's also something you want to practice, especially people that ride dressage. You're going to you do that free walk across the diagonal where you're giving him that rein and letting him stretch out. So, so it's a good thing to practice for sure. As far as which one would get, you know, between walking and halting, which is going to allow more information to seep into the brain. Again, I have no proof, but I, I like to just stop everything. Um, my only disclaimer, my only caveat about this is a cult with very, very few rides. I will let that cult stop and think, but I'm always going to be doing a little something because, uh, on a brand new baby colt, just a few rides, you know, under 10, 20 rides. Uh, if you stop and, and don't do anything on that colt, they can kind of, I don't want to say they forget you're up there, but, um, they can get in a little bit of trouble. So I, so walking on a colt like that would be really good or, I'll let them have a break, but I might just kind of lightly flex them a little bit or at the very least, like move back and forth in the saddle just to let them know I'm still here. It's still okay. You're fine. Otherwise, with a colt like that, sometimes they they sort of forget about you a little bit. And then when you ask them to walk again, they're like, oh, you know, they get really surprised. Um, so on a very, very green horse, I'd prefer walking or doing something over just complete standstill and yeah. clocking out. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of get it. I can see where having ridden a few and, and started a few horses that if you just stop and do nothing at all, they might go, Oh shoot. That's what we're doing. Isn't it? Yeah. That would make sense. Um, interesting. And that is very interesting. Now, Nigel, who I is, is my horse for unfamiliar listeners. I have found appreciates and finds rewarding the stand still. And he, he takes in things and processes it. And he considers that like, yay, I did something right. I get to take a break and stand perfectly still, which is a little bit unusual for your typical off-the-track thoroughbred. Um, you see more of them that would just as soon move around. So that's interesting. And I'll have to try it sometime with Scooter because you never know where Scooter's going to be. Scooter is our hackney pony. And sometimes he needs to be, st- he thinks still is cool. And sometimes he thinks move around is cool. So I'm going to try that exactly. next time I take Scooter out. And, you know, if this is something new to you and new to your horse, uh, what can often happen? I get this a lot, not so much with my colts, but with training horses that I'm restarting or putting more rides on, um, is they don't have this habit built in already and they might have a lot of anxiety. So let's say you do something great with your horse and you're going to try this, like, let's just stand still on a loose rein and they can only stand for 10, 20 seconds and then they got to move again. Um, when that happens, they're not in trouble. I will not punish them for moving because usually they're moving because of anxiety. They don't know what to do. Um, So if I get after them, they're just going to feel more anxious and really not want to stand still. Um, Yeah. And there won't be any absorbing that way. Nope. Yeah. So if I drop the reins and give that to them, like I hear I'm allowing you to stand and they don't want to, they just can't, um, then okay, breaks over, let's work again. And not, not in a sense of, well, if you don't appreciate this break, I'm going to make you, you know, <laughs> it's not that you got to change your, yeah. Don't have that mindset. It's, you know, if they can't, if they just can't do it, if you know, um, it's, then it's I'll more, say, okay, well, let's, yeah, it's more of a case yeah. of you can't, you don't want to say, okay, that's fine. Let's go do some work. 
Yeah. yeah, it's it's like an opportunity. Oh, you've got you still got energy in your feet. Okay, well, I did want to work on side passing or I did want to work on trotting around a little bit and then I'll offer it to them again. And if it's a horse, I've had horses that have a very severe problem of not being able to stand. Um, so if I know that that horse can stand for 20 seconds, um, then I'll offer him that break and I will bring him out of it myself at 10 seconds and say, great, you made it 10 whole seconds. That's great. You know, start with the goal you can achieve. And then later when I offer it to him again, I'll say, okay, well, can we try for like 15 seconds this time? You know, I'll find a starting point and build from there. And the horse, you know, even the most high powered off the track straight, you know, straight off the racetrack horse can eventually over time learn to take what you're giving them and say, okay, I'm going to stand now. And if you make it a good experience, and I see this time and time with clicker training, where I actually reward them with food, like, wow, you stood still for five whole seconds. Those horses, even the hottest, most anxious horses over time with practice can go, oh my gosh, I could stand here for an hour. And it's, it's something, how many times I've said this before, many times, like half our horse's life is us needing them to stand still standing <laughs> tied to the trailer. Yeah. Standing for the vet or farrier, um, waiting for our class to go. Like, I don't have time to go ride him around because I'm, I'm in the hole, you know, waiting yep. to go in. Yep. He needs to stand for a few minutes before we go in, or you've done your on the rail class. The judges called you for the placings. You've got to stand. I've seen people get flipped over with in a lineup because a horse could not stand for that long. They couldn't handle it. So you've got to practice this at home. So it's a good thing to help them learn. And it's a good practical thing. Think of all, if you think about it with your own horse, think about all the times where you need that horse to stand still. It's worth practicing. It's every bit as valuable as working on your lead changes or your jumps or your obstacles. It's, it's a really important part of horsemanship. I can't agree anymore. And part of horsemanship is taking good care of your horse and making sure his body is protected from biting insects. It's that time of year. So uh, I think you had a little bit of something to say about something that horseware makes for protecting our horses from bugs. Yes, it's definitely that time of year. Flies are here and you want to offer your horses the maximum in protection with the Rambo protector. And I think this is the the sheet that I have for Guthrie. It's definitely a Rambo sheet, which it's it's already starting. He's starting to get the welt. So I need to go home and get on that right now. And the Rambo Protector is specifically designed to offer superior protection from both flies and sunlight. It's made from unique patented fabric that is super soft and comfortable. This fly sheet provides both UV protection and maximum breathability. The Rambo Protector offers maximum coverage with its V-front closure and sure-fit neck design, improved hood shape for greater coverage when grazing, supersized tail flap, leg arches, belly protection. That's a big one for Guthrie because he gets really bad um, sores on his belly if I don't have that flap. Yes. So every time I look for a fly sheet, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And it's got three straight surcingles. This fly sheet also features a tail strap and shine-enhancing polyester shoulder and mane lining. So it's got really good lining so it doesn't rub on their shoulders. Because if your horse is itchy like mine is, he's going to try rubbing with his sheet. (laughs) Fly sheet also, okay, I've already been through that. It's created in extremely durable fabric. The Rambo Protector is built to protect your horse for many seasons. Visit horseware.com for more details and find a retailer near you. 
There we go. Well, we're ringing up our guest, Kristen Kovach-Bentley. And why don't you kind of intro what her question is all about, Mary? So Kristen has a very Western-themed question because she's talking about the turnaround. So some of you guys might not know what is meant by the term turnaround. Uh, It's got a few different names. In raining, we might call it a turnaround or a spin. Uh, It could be called a turn on the haunches if you're thinking in dressage terms. So basically what this maneuver is, is the horse, you want them to plant uh, their weight on their hind end, preferably planting an inside hind foot and they're going to pivot their shoulders around so they're going to spin around that inside hind foot so um, it can be a really fast spin like you see in the raining where the horse spins around really fast for time uh, for uh, four cycles in the raining pin uh, but it can also be a really slow and easy going maneuver and whether you're riding western or english it's something uh, worthwhile to teach your horse because it's it's just uh, helps you get better body control all around and better maneuverability with your horse well welcome to the show Kristen. are you ready yes how's it going it's going good so you have a question um and i assume is this a thoroughbred you're training a turnaround with? Yep. Yeah, we're making a range cow horse debut this year. So. Oh, awesome. That's going to be so cool. Um, okay, so what's your question with the turnaround? So uh, I was describing this to my husband last night. And he's like, your horse just has a really good compass. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like he's understanding, you know, the pieces that are going into the turnaround. Um, this horse used to be super herd sour. Uh, so we did a lot of work last year to get him, you know, over that for the most part. Um, and I feel like the herd sourness is now manifesting itself in our turnaround practice, which is super irritating. So uh, he'll get, if we start, let's say we start facing home, he'll get a good 360. And then when he gets back, you know, to 12 o'clock on the clock or north where he's facing home, then he's done. And if I start with 90 degrees to go, then he gets a good 90 and then he gets to facing home and he's done. And it doesn't matter which direction we go in. Uh, but once he's facing home, he's like, I did it for good. And, and that's the end of the turnaround. And it's a little bit of a fight to get him to keep going. So to the right, he'll just back up. And then to the left, he actually will swing his butt through my leg and it turns into a turn on the forehand. So mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. oh, my head is going left, but my butt is now going right. So, um, so what I've been trying to do is just when we get to that point where I feel him start to quit, I've been trying to just keep driving him forward. So he's getting that, you know, forward motion. Your front feet are moving. Try to put it. So that's about as far as I've gotten so far. But so that is actually incredibly common. In fact, so common that I believe every horse I've ever trained to turn around on has gone through this. Um, so you know, horses, no matter how much we work on the barn sour, the gate sour, they're always going to be magnetized toward a certain point in your arena or your pasture when you're riding them out. Um, you'll never get that out of them because no matter how much you can make them try and feel bad for going to the barn at the end of the night, where do they go? They're going to go to the barn. They're going to eat their food. They're going to be with their friends. So they're always going to have that tendency to want to lean toward, you know, home and, And you'll see this, uh, you, like you said, manifest itself, um, in the turnaround because so, so in case anyone didn't quite get that, you'll have the horse turning really good and pivoting that hind foot, just like you want. And then when they're leaning toward the barn, they either want to walk forward out of it, 
they'll kind of bulge their shoulder out of it. They won't listen to your cues or um, they will plant their front end and turn the hind end around. So, or they'll start spinning. I call it spinning like a Coke bottle where they're spinning around their center. So both their hind end and their back end are moving. Um, And this used to frustrate the heck out of me training reining horses. Um, So, so it's very common. I think every horse goes through it at some point. Um, I'll start by saying what not to do. And I, I know you are not doing this at all, but I've seen very severe reactions, a, a severe version of, uh, of what not to do. And it can cause huge problems later on. Um, I worked for a trainer who was very, very aggressive and his cult started doing this exact same thing. He's turning on his hind end, but then when he would you know, he might get one good turn in, but every time he was kind of facing that gate where he wanted to leave, it would all fall apart. And so what this guy did was, uh, get after the horse, like, nope, that's not what you're supposed to do. So he would use harder cues. He would use more outside spur or work on the horse's face, make him feel bad for leaning toward that gate. And what started as a very, you know, minor yet irritating problem in this particular horse, this is a very sensitive horse and it was a young horse. Um, the horse started going from just bulging that shoulder out or not doing the turnaround properly to actually jumping forward out of the turn. Um, and when he started doing that, this guy got even harder with the horse, like really getting after him and making him feel bad. And instead of the problem getting better, then what started happening was the horse started bolting out of the turnaround and this got worse and worse until the horse was actually running toward the gate and slamming into the gate to get away from this guy so you know you would think that making the horse feel bad for doing the wrong thing would deter him from doing it and then he would try and do the right thing but what was happening with this colt was Um, he would get punished, then he'd be in fear of punishment. So he'd want to escape. And where does he want to escape? He wants to go home. That's where he feels safe. So it would just, it turned into this vicious cycle. And what started as a very minor problem ended up being a very, very severe problem that was almost unfixable. Um, So like I said, I know that is not what you're doing, but it kind of helps highlight, I think about that situation when I have issues like this, realizing that punishment is not always the right answer, um, or even making the wrong thing difficult is not always the correct answer. So and when I, when I do this and I have a horse that starts this problem, I'm going to try and focus on when are you doing it correctly? When can I reward you for doing it correctly? So if you can get three quarters of a turn without the horse screwing up, release them for three quarters of a turn. Even though, you know, it, when you're doing rain cow horse, I think you guys have to do two and a half spins. Um, in the raining, you do four spins. You need that horse spinning many times in that maneuver. But it takes me, I'd say it takes me a year to build a turnaround. Um you know, you won't have it next month, obviously. Um, so what I will try and focus on instead is I'm going to wait for the moment where his shoulders feel really good. He's swinging those shoulders around freely. He's not leaning into my cues and he's, he gets me, gives me a few good steps and that in the beginning, it'll just be one or two good steps. 
As soon as that happens, I walk the horse out of the turn in the direction we were facing. And I'll, I'll, this is, uh, so Jen, this is where walking on a loose rein probably would be something I would do over standing still. So as soon as I get those few good steps, I cue him out of the turn and I'm very deliberate with my cue. I'm like, now we're done. So I'll use both legs, push him forward out of that turn and let him walk for a little bit. When I walk out of the turn, and this is going to really help you with your turnaround, especially as it gets better and better, don't walk in the opposite direction you are turning. So what I mean by that, if you're, if you're, let's say you're doing your turnaround and the horse gives you two or three really good steps and you're like, that's good. I'm going to release you from this maneuver because you've done it well. You've done what I asked and I walk them forward, if I was turning to the right, the worst thing I could do would be to walk the horse out into the left because I want this horse thinking, turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right. So when I walk out of it, um, when my horse does well and I want to walk him straight out of that maneuver, I will either walk him straight forward or I'll walk forward into into the right, into a right circle because I want them thinking, turn right, turn right, turn right. So when I work on turnarounds, um, I may do one direction a day, but at the very least I will, if I'm working on the, so let's stick with the right turnaround. I will work on that right turnaround, um, until it's at a good spot before I turn left. So what I mean by that is I'm not going to turn around to the right and then turn around to the left and then turn around to the right and then turn around to the left. I want them thinking we're doing the right turnaround. So we're going right, 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 right. And I'll give them a little break and say, okay, left turn around now. Whoops, drop my microphone. Um, left, 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 left. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah. So, so that's one really good. And you're probably doing that already. Um, so even though I need my horse to give me several 360s in a row, um, I'm going to release him uh, even if he gives me a few good steps. Uh, if he leans toward the barn, I'm not going to exaggerate my cues anymore. I'm not going to uh, get after him harder because what can happen, let's say your horse is swinging around to the gate and you know he's it's going to fall apart now. So the instinct would be to use that outside leg even harder, to use a little bit more spur, maybe even tap him with a crop on that shoulder. Um I find that is not, I used to do that quite a bit. I find that's not incredibly effective because it'll make their focus, it'll draw their focus more to the outside of their body where you're cueing them harder than it will to staying in that turnaround, staying in that nice uh, turnaround. And sometimes they'll get a little resentful. If you overdo your cues and you're bothering to de them to death with that outside leg, they will do the opposite of what you think they ought to do and actually lean into it harder. Yeah. So you exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. um, <laughs> yes. So even though I know like you've done this enough that, you know, as soon as you get facing that gate or you're facing home, that horse is going to lean out. He's going to bulge that shoulder. He's going to, you know, or plant that shoulder completely and turn on his haunches. I just keep asking with my cues and I'm going to use the opportunity that's coming up to release him. So when we go around to the gate, he's going to bulge out. It's going to fall apart. I'm just going to keep him in that turn and say, nope, not yet, not yet, not yet. What's going to happen when he's facing the opposite of the gate? You're going to use the barn sour to your 
advantage. All of a sudden, he's going to plan on his on his hind end, and that shoulder is going to free up because he wants he's like facing the opposite way. So he's going to want to turn to face the way he wants to face. As soon as you feel that shoulder free up, release. So I might. G- go around many, many circles where he turns good for half a circle, then falls out of it, turns good for half a circle, falls out of it. That's okay. As soon as I feel him correct himself, I'm going to release him out of that. And this, uh, it's, it's a very slow, steady, um, improvement. It's not going to happen overnight, but pretty soon he's going to realize, ah, when I'm going around and trying to take her to the gate, I, you know, I, I don't find the release I thought I was going to get, but when I lift my shoulder up and get off of the cues, all of a sudden I get that release and over time it it will improve. Um, so I would say, uh, the other thing I would say is, um, it's very easy to tackle this maneuver by looking at the finished product first and trying to make your horse do that on day one. So the finished you know, thing that you want to have happen is the horse plants its hind end and frees that shoulder up and moves the shoulder around the hind end and, you know, is light and even has some speed to it, but you won't get that in the beginning. Um, so I don't even focus on, oh, are they planting the inside foot or is their hind end even staying still? Instead, I focus on how free is your shoulder? So oftentimes when I do this, uh, exercise for many months, Instead of trying to get them to actually plant and pivot, what I will do instead, um, this is probably how I would tackle this with your horse, is if you're going to the right, walk a small circle. You can walk or trot. If your horse is a little pokey, you can do this at a trot as well to get their feet uh, a little bit more peppy. Trot a, a small circle to the right, so maybe slightly bigger than a 10-meter circle. Um, so I'll trot them in a circle. Get them, make sure they're going forward, whether it's at a walk or trot, they're going forward, they're soft in the bridle. And then I will initiate my cues for the turnaround. So I'll start drawing that horse down. I won't just make them stop and start pivoting. I'll make that circle smaller, smaller, smaller. And pretty soon the circle's going to get so small that they have to pivot. Um, As soon as I can kind of feel them rock back a little bit, and that shoulder is doing a little bit more work than the hind end. They don't have to pivot perfectly. Just as long as you can, all of a sudden you feel that shoulder starting to come around more than the hind end. Then I go back to my circle. I let them out of that turn and go back into my 10 meter circle. And I'll do a couple more circles and then spiral down, 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 down until they pick up that shoulder and swing it through. As soon as I feel that, I'll put them back on that circle. It is, I'd say I will be on one for many, many months before I say, before that turnaround starts to look like it's going to look in the show pen, meaning I'm going to stop you. Uh, We're going to start at a standstill. We're going to go right into that spin and then we're going to stop again. If you start trying to do it that way, that's where you're going to run into your problems of your horse backing out of the turn like you're having in the one direction instead of going forward uh, or the horse planting the wrong end and pivoting the hind end around the front end. Um, Instead, work on you do a nice forward circle, spiral down, get a couple of steps where you can feel that shoulder crossing over and then release them back into that circle. Um, I would do that over and over again until as soon as you start initiating that turnaround, that shoulder comes through nice and clear and clean and immediate. 
that's when I'll start thinking about getting more steps in that pivot um, and having it start to look more like an, the finished product, the finished turnaround. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, I have a follow-up question too about trot circles, if we have time. Um, yeah. Okay. Because I've been talking to a couple of friends about trot circles and one um, you know, for years we'd all been like just in the trot circle and doing the trot circle. And the tendency, you know, is that we just sort of end up pulling them around, um, beforehand mm-hmm. and it doesn't really actually, you know, if you're not doing it correctly, it doesn't help the horse really turn around at all. <laughs> so this friend mm-hmm. of mine mm-hmm. want to bend the horse in and push the hip in first and get that hip kind of engaged and underneath them before you start to really spiral down which makes sense in theory. And I guess what I'm worried about is I'm just going to end up pushing the hip around the front end. If I think too much about engaging that hip in to get the hip underneath. So, okay. So you want the hip like very slightly to the inside of your circle, not a haunches in, but kind of in that. So that is something that I do practice a lot. Uh, but in my opinion, that is a very, um, I, w- I don't want to say it's an advanced maneuver, but it's sort of like I've, uh, I don't really do Pilates, but if you made me do like a plank and, and hold it for two minutes right now, like as out of condition as I am for that kind of thing, it would kill me. I, it, I think it takes a, a great deal of, uh, effort for a horse to do and, um, I, I think it's possible, but I wouldn't oh. drill on it too much at this point. Um, what I would do instead, uh, that's that's sort of along those lines, instead of feeling like you're pulling the horse around in the circle, is I will kind of set a framework with my hands um, that will guide them into the circle. And instead of pulling them through the circle, I will drive them into my hands from behind. Uh, now that will actually naturally make the hip engage and uh, a little bit more without actually putting your outside leg back and pushing that hip in, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot more sense. Well, yeah. Can- and, And it's the same with the turnaround. You don't want to pull them into that turn. It's to me, it's kind of a push maneuver. Um, You're driving them. It's a very forward maneuver. If you end up pulling on them too much, you'll have the problems of them stepping behind and backing into that turnaround, which will give you major penalties in the show pin. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't worry about pushing the haunches in so much. Um, in fact, if I have a horse that has a real difficult time with the turnaround, you would be surprised how doing the opposite can actually straighten them up right away. Um, so I had a horse that I was having a very similar problem with the turnaround. He was just kind of leaning into my cues. I couldn't make him go past a certain speed and we, we were starting to fight each other about it. And I knew I didn't want to get into a fight over it and make it a, a dreadful maneuver for him. And I went and rode with this, uh, with Craig Johnson, who's amazing world champion, us equestrian games, champion reigning trainer. And he said, well, can you disengage his hindquarters? How is he with that? And I'm thinking, okay, A, yeah, that's baby stuff. He does that. Great. I did that first ride and B, how would, kicking his hip away, um, disengaging his hip, make him turn better. That's going to make him do the opposite of what I want him to do. Uh, but I humored him and I went to disengage his hindquarters and lo and behold, he wasn't that good at it anymore because I hadn't practiced it since he was a baby and his hips were really, really stuck. He, I could not get him to move his hip away from my legs. 
And so instead of working on the turnaround, Craig had me fix that where I would, uh, I would disengage his hindquarters, get him off of my leg and working on that. And then he had me do a maneuver where I would disengage the horse's hip. So if I'm wanting to do a right turnaround, I would push his hip to the left and get him stepping that hip around the front end and get that nice and loose. Once that hip was loose, then I changed my cues and asked him to do a turnaround to the right. And like, lo and behold, all of a sudden we had our turnaround. So I kind of, I, I call it kicking the hip out of the way. Sometimes what the problem is, is the horse is actually engaging their hindquarters to the inside too much and it's not allowing their shoulder to swing through properly and it's it's kind of hard to explain you kind of have to try it i i would i would even try this with the horse it's it's never harmful to disengage the hip we tend to think but that's not what the maneuver is and if i practice this too much he's going to get really good at that and not good at the turnaround Uh, but you'd be surprised how getting that hip loosened up and getting it kind of out of the way and off of your cues can actually make the turnaround better so to do this, I would maybe walk forward in a circle to the right, disengage the hip to the left, and then go into that right-hand turnaround just for a couple of steps. And that might be something, I've done that a couple of times. It sounds completely counterintuitive, but for some reason, it can really free up that shoulder. Yeah, and you know, I feel like that, especially to the right, the way that he he gets in his own way with the shoulder a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On where I'm like, okay, we're turning around pretty good on the ground, and it just doesn't seem to translate under saddle, but that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to give that a try you all the things i'll try everything you know awesome awesome <laughs> well thank you Kristen. i now i have stuff to work on at home yeah well thank you mary and jen plenty of homework thanks all right good luck thank you Shoo! now my head's spinning i took notes i know that one can be really hard to explain um And it's one of those things where people would explain these things to me with the turnaround because I had a heck of a time learning to teach the turnaround myself. It wasn't the horse. It was me learning how to teach the horse. Yeah. And people would say, well, do this. And I'm like, that's not going to work. And it wasn't until I did it and I could feel the horse respond. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what that means. Yeah. Um, that yeah. can be a tricky one because it's more difficult for horses to do in general than just planning their front end and moving their hind end around. And it can be very tricky for people to wrap their brains around as well. But it is such a useful exercise. Even if your horse is never going to go to a horse show, it is such a useful exercise for any horse to improve his ability to change his center of balance. Like when, if you're a trail horse and you have to go through anything, rocks, brush, up and down little hills and banks, step over logs, that horse's ability to manage his own center of balance efficiently and effectively is key. And this is an exercise, even if it's only at the putt-putt baby, we're going for a walk and doing a quarter of a turn at a time, incredibly useful skill. So I'm thrilled that we got to go over that today with Kristen. And if anybody has more questions about turnarounds and that sort of thing, keep an eye out for next month's show because Mary is here the second Thursday of every month, and she always posts the day before her show on the HRN Auditors page for questions. If you have more questions about this type of exercise, just post it there. And if you're not an auditor yet, you should be 
Auditors are what we call our super listeners. They love to listen to our shows and they see value in it. So they help support the Horse Radio Network and keep the lights on here through our Patreon. And you can go to horsesinthemorning.com and look for the Become an Auditor page or banner. And you can learn how to do it right there. And now it's time for us to take a little break from talking. And we're going to play our song. And as I alluded to earlier, we have a choice of three different songs depending upon which aspect of your trip to Bruno, Idaho, you want to celebrate. Here are your choices. We have Dirt by Jared Rogerson. We have... Okay. <laughs> Boots we and... haven't talked about that part. You haven't talked about that part yet. Boots and Pearls by Adrian or Beautiful Day by Templeton Thompson. Ooh, those are all really good. Um, so... I would go with Boots and Pearls just because I love Adrian's music and uh, I, I I really like hearing her her songs. So yeah. let's go it's, with that one. It's all about being a girly girl and a tough gal girl all at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I wear Pearls Seems fair With my Blue jeans Diamond rings And roses in my hair I rode a bronc He was tough The boys all out
by Adrian Buckaroo Cowgirl there. You can find Adrian's music at buckaroogirl.com and you can also find it on iTunes, Spotify, most CD Baby, most of your other players online. And she's got, I think, four different albums out now. I love Adrian. Oh yeah, her stuff is so cool. She's got such a cool style. Yeah, and she's she really is a, a, a real honest-to-goodness buckaroo girl. She used to ride... I don't know that she still does. She used to ride, was it Saddle Bronx or Bareback Bronx? Uh, Saddle Bronx. Yeah, the real deal. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, she, yeah, she knows what she's talking about when she talks about being a buckaroo girl. Well, as I said, Mary is here the second Thursday of every month, and we geek out on training. And her monthly show is brought to you by Horseware. Yeah, Horseware, the folks who make all of the awesome Rambo Amigo and other blankets, fly sheets, warm blankets, hot weather blankets, cold weather blankets, and awesome clothing. If you haven't done so already, stop over to horseware.com and see what's up for the 2019 season. There's lots of great stuff. And we have time today to get to the second half of the Bruno, Idaho trip. Because you folks may have noticed, if you are astute, that dirt by Jared Rogerson, was one of the songs we had to choose from today. And why, oh, why would that be on the playlist, Mary? Uh, well, I, I had a first um, when I was up there. Um, and uh, it, interesting milestone. I actually got my first concussion and uh, I actually got knocked out uh, starting colds. Um, what other so- sport is it that is like that's almost celebrated when you get your very first concussion? <laughs> Well, the it shouldn't be, is, but it is. Yeah, when I mentioned it, I was like, I've never been knocked out before. They're like, this is only your first concussion? I'm like, yeah, the goal should be zero concussions. Um, so, yeah, you know, anyone who starts Colts has been on a young horse ha- ha- knows that just stuff happens. It happens to the best horsemen I know. Um, it is a very risky endeavor to put the first rides on a horse. Um you know, it's, it's unfortunately not an if, but when, and I had my win, uh, when I was up in Bruno. So what happened, I was on a, uh, very, very sensitive cult and we, we had been riding them around in halters and, uh, we decided to start them with hackamores, um, Cause I think we'd done maybe three rides up to that point and everything was going pretty good. Um, and the hackamore is a completely different feeling, uh, tool to a horse and the reins are made of horse hair and they can be very prickly. And I had the, the lead rope part of the Makati reins. So you, when you set up a Makati on a hackamore, you've got the rein part, which is a big loop rein. And there's another, uh, 
rein that comes out and that's used to lead the horse around. And typically you, uh, you put it up and you tuck it into your belt. Um, and that's pretty practical because if you happen to come off, uh, you're still attached to the horse. You don't tie it hard to your belt. You just kind of loop it up. Um, so if it's a really big wreck, the horse will pull free of you. Uh, but you've, you've still got something to grab a hold of if you come off of your horse. Um, so I had that up in my belt, but the end of it was hanging down by the horse's flank. And he was, again, he's really, really sensitive. So he so I was riding him around and he felt that tickle his flank. So hindsight, I should have put the the rope in a different place, but you know, sometimes you don't see these things. And so he got really scared and, uh, started running around the round pin. Uh-oh. And yeah, unfortunately when a colt bolts, you don't want to pull on him, uh, really hard because you can turn, if you try to stop that horse and say, don't move your feet. And he's scared and he's a prey animal saying, I must move my feet. And if you take that away from him, he might say, well, now I'm going to buck you off. So if I can't uh, run away from you, I need to get you off because you're a lion that's about to eat me. Sure. That makes sense. Yes. And I'm really big into one rain stops, but this was a situation where he was so troubled. I, I thought I would get more in his way by trying to bend him down. Um, so I stuck with him for a, for a long time. Every time he'd come to a stop, he'd fill the rope and then take off again. And it was just one, it was just a bad, you know, perfect storm, bad situation. And, um, so I was hanging with him pretty good. He would, he was darting all over the round pen and we have three other Colts on their fourth ride in the round pin as well. So we're darting in and out of these Colts and uh, long story short. So I had blown, he kept turning back into the fence and uh, I had blown, I think both my stirrups at that point. And it was just this moment of time where I knew he was going to double back and go the other way. And I was kind of thinking I should probably you know, let gravity take over from here. And I kind of spotted the ground and was like, this will be fine and let myself come off. But what I didn't plan on happening was that I would, I would get lawn darted headfirst into a fence post. And, uh, so I remember the moment where I'm like, well, I'm going to come off. This is going to be embarrassing. And then all of a sudden I sort of come to, I have little Tweety birds flying around my head (laughs) and I'm, I'm sitting in a chair on the observation deck with a bottle of water in my hand. And I see the other guys are still on their colts. And I'm thinking, wait, I'm supposed to be on a horse. Like, why are they riding? And I'm not riding. It was the most creepy thing I've ever felt. I felt like I was waking up out of a dream. And I was just like, this isn't right. And I vaguely remember that something had happened And I just kind of started crying because I'm like, this isn't right. You know, what happened? And I, I, my biggest thing was I had to convey to people. I'm like, I'm not upset that I fell off. I'm not crying because I fell. I just don't remember anything. And they're like, well, do you remember gathering cattle this morning? And I was like, uh, (laughs) it was pretty fuzzy. Um, so I erred on the side of caution and I went to, uh, the hospital and, uh, got a CAT scan because uh, concussions 
you know, any head trauma, it's not something to mess around with. People have died because they were, they thought they were fine. You know, they just had a headache and what, you know, they actually had a brain bleed. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's really important if you knock your head at all, even if it feels silly, go to the hospital, get checked out, get peace of mind. So that's what I did. You know, they did confirm I sustained a concussion. Um, so I, I was not able to ride Colts. The ru- I was only supposed to be there for another day or two. And I, at first I was like, oh, I'll come back and ride some Colts. And, uh, when I got home, I was like, no, I don't think I should ride Colts. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Jostling about after a serious concussion is probably not recommended, is it? No, even, even if you are not, you're fairly certain you're not going to hit your head, um, getting on a horse and, you know, even the, just the movement of the horse can negatively affect, uh, what you're experiencing. So it's really important to take a break, which I did. Uh, I slept for days. Um, and that's another thing. It's a common, it used to be, you, you were supposed to get woken up every two hours if you got a concussion and they've really gotten away from that and saying, you know, no, you need to sleep. You need water. You need sleep. You need rest. Get off your phone. Don't, don't look at a screen. Don't do, you know, work that requires you to really concentrate. Um, so, so that's what I did. Um, and the takeaway from that is, uh, you know, I am not anti-helmet, but I'm not, uh, I don't wear one a hundred percent of the time. I don't know that a helmet would have completely stopped, uh, cause I actually hit on my temple, which is not a good place to hit. No, um, there's a soft I think spot I, there. Yeah, I think it would have lessened the impact for sure. You know, it it would have been a good idea. Um, I'm not sure if it would have stopped me from getting knocked out or getting a concussion, but it probably would have would have helped things a little bit. So, um, and I usually do typically wear a helmet on colts or strange horses, um, but I will, uh, you know, I'm definitely wearing one on every horse now because uh, I've said before I'm incredibly vain about how smart I think I am. Uh, so I'm not going to mess around with my brain. I'm going to keep it protected and, and be safe and smart. And again, you know, sometimes it, it just happens. It happens to everyone. I've seen it happen to master horsemen and, uh, it's just kind of an unfortunate side effect of what we do. Uh, but you know, in the, in the interest of being completely upfront and, and open, uh, wanted to share that experience and tell everyone out there, be safe, wear a helmet, um, you know, and if you do hit your head, go to the hospital. Get checked out. Have, yeah. yeah. And, and now in your particular case, because each injury is unique, but in your particular case, did they recommend that you come back a second time to get rechecked or was it of the sort that they said, okay, this is what's going on. We feel very confident. You're good to go home and follow our directions. Um, so things are still fuzzy from actually being at the hospital, but they didn't seem concerned uh, in uh, at that hospital with a secondary checkup. Um, and one of the things I asked them, like, I'm supposed to fly in two days. Am I going to be okay? And they were like, yeah, you're fine. Oh, well, uh, there you go. Well, that's a good question yeah. to ask, too, because that can. With the pressure. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, they said it might just like I have motion sickness anyway, and it might just exacerbate that. They said the biggest thing that they said you need to come back in for is if you have because it does cause a great deal of nausea when you have this happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said if you can if you have continued vomiting, 
you need to come back in. Um, I drove, I, I was driven home that night with a couple of baggies because I was not feeling uh, very good, but, mm. uh, I didn't have worsening symptoms. So I was okay. And I, when I did get home, I did go ahead and get checked out by my doctor just, just to be safe because, um, you know, I've, I had a relative who had hit their head and seemed okay. And then two weeks later, they're slurring their words and Ooh. they ended up, yeah. So I've heard, I've heard a number of similar stories. So I was just very paranoid. And, you know, even though I, my symptoms were going away and they weren't getting any worse, I, I went ahead and had my local guy check me out. Yeah. And, well, you know, that's when you think about it, that makes perfect sense because, your regular physician knows you a little bit better and might recognize subtle symptoms that someone who doesn't know you might not because so many of the symptoms are things that you observe. Um, so, and he knows he's like, you know, you, and you're not aware of it because you're the one with the injury. So if there are things that are going on frequently with head injuries, you don't know you're slurring your words because it's your head that's messed up. And little subtle things, they might it, they might um, notice otherwise. So that's a really good idea. Look at you being smart and looking out for your health. I know after, you know, getting lawn darted. Well, and that's, yeah, you need to be around people that know you. You don't want to be alone. Um, there was recently a story about a journalist who was a horsewoman, but she'd actually hit her head walking her dog. Uh, I think it was actually a journalist's wife. Um, and she thought she was fine, you know, and, um, the two mistakes that happened were, you know, she was alone because her husband was out of town. Uh, so there was no one there to observe her, make sure she was okay. And she took, uh, aspirin, Ooh. which, Aspirin is good for many things, but you don't want to do it for head injuries. Because I think, doesn't it thin blood? I'm not sure I, if that was... I think that might be something it does, yeah. Yeah, so you don't, you know, you want to avoid taking aspirin. Um, but yeah, you need to be with someone who knows you, who can keep an eye on you. Make sure make sure you remember your name and uh, <laughs> and are doing okay. Yeah, wow. So... In wrapping up today, we're running out of time because Mary is running running out of battery because she lives in the land of no Wi-Fi. Yes, I had to drive to town because um, I'm trying to get better Wi-Fi, better connection, and my laptop battery doesn't last for very long. I'm actually in my car right now. Um, and your so car has excellent sound quality, by the way. I know. So I'm going to find the perfect mix of... Uh, battery life and Wi-Fi connectivity and <laughs> to make sure that it's uh, the sound quality is good on my end. It's fun living in the country. Yeah, there we go. Well, I wanted to say thank you to Kristen for coming on the show and chatting about her training issue. And Kayla, Angie, Marie, Sam, Bridget, and Sam also submitted questions. We'll get to some more of them next month, providing Mary doesn't have any more medical emergencies she needs to talk about. Knock on wood. Knock yes. on wood. Um, Mary, for people who want to appropriately stalk you on the interweb, uh, talk to you about training horses, or have you come to their area of the world and do a clinic, that would be kind of cool. Where can they find you? So I have a website, marykitzmiller.com, which has my contact info. Um, I'd say probably the best place to get a hold of me is on Facebook. Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship is my Facebook page. And when is your next Mustang Makeover competition? You know, I don't know. They they moved Fort Worth. Uh, oh, 
Fort Worth is now in uh, the Fort Worth one is now in January. Um, and it's going to be during the stock show. So it's at the same time when they used to do the Mustang magic. Yeah. So that's, it's kind of combined now. That mm-hmm. one is the Fort Worth makeover. So it is not till January and I'm not sure if I'm going to do it or not. I probably am, but I, I do this every year. Like I'm not going to do You waffle and then you go. I know. And everyone who does these events will tell you the same thing. This is my last year. I got to do other things. And then they get a Mustang. And then they get another Mustang. They're addictive. <laughs> well, hopefully we will have Mustang updates next month on the second Thursday. And to find links about today's show, go to horsesinthemorning.com. The episode for May 9th, 19, 2019. You can follow us on Facebook if you haven't done so already. Search for Horses in the Morning and click the like and follow button. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Horse Radio, Horse Radio, period. And you can have all of the shows with you wherever you go by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. Go to your app store, search Horse Radio Network, and download it. It's quick, it's free, it's easy. For the less tech-savvy folk in your life, help them download it too. They'll thank you later. And thanks to our sponsor for today, Horseware. You can find all kinds of great stuff there, horseware.com. And Mary, we will see you next month. All right. Sounds good.